Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. I guess we need to talk about it. Mm, I guess we do. Yes. So as a recap, I was doing my last of two years of of driving home from Boston. And I called you on the phone. Yep. Yep. And we're talking and I say, I'm going to pull into a drive through. I mute you. Uh, and I place my order in the drive-thru. I unmute you mm-hmm. uh, and take my food from the window. And the first thing you say to me is, Are you at Chick-fil-A? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You uh, just knew. I you knew. just knew that. I knew it. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm very just perceptive on random things and so when you unmuted me you know i heard you go like oh yeah uh, hold on one second and i assumed i was on like speaker or something and you put the phone down and i heard you go like oh thank you so much you know i'm assuming you grabbed your food and then i heard that you know key phrase the my pleasure and i was like (laughs) okay all right so either i was like i'm gonna just take my bet and i'm gonna go for the comedic relief here i was like all right either you got somebody at a drive-thru who's incredibly polite or you're at Chick-fil-A because that's the thing they always have to say. And because I had so many friends who worked at Chick-fil-A in high school, it was like a running joke consistently. So I took a I shot at it. I had never noticed that. that really? They say that. Oh, yeah, I had never noticed that. Well, we had- I mean, I, I, I'm going to say, I don't go to Chick-fil-A that often these right. days. Y- you know what? All the... All the other fast food places, they need to get a grilled chicken sandwich. You know what? And then fair. I'll stop. I'll stop going to the homophobic chicken restaurant. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll get on it. If any recommendations, send them our way. Let's get Xana stop going here on his travels. <laughs> uh, no, you but- know, just just it's it's a long drive. And, yeah. you know, you start get you start. Uh, you're, you're in the middle of Massachusetts. Yeah, you're just. You're just looking for something. What else are you going to get, and, you know? Yeah, what am I going to do? Stop at Friendly's? Uh, no, that's probably worse. <laughs> um, not a, Yeah, I. It, it was always kind of like a running joke with us about the My Pleasure thing, but also kind of something we would discuss a lot because it was so weird. Like I, Because they have to do that. Like I knew people who worked there, and mm-hmm. they would say, like, no, it's part of the job. Like, you have to say My Pleasure after everything. And there's a bit it's of that so weird. So interesting. Yeah, and it's very... How specific. Right? That's the thing. I, I literally just finished reading um, Convenience Store Woman, and it's, like, the same idea where it's, like, they have to say this greeting every single time somebody op- enters the store. And with Chick-fil-A, it's the exact same thing as somebody leaves mm. the place. Like, you have to be that way and it's just this very strange customer service relationship that i don't appreciate because it's very robotic it's not even particularly like it 
where where is Chick Fil A from originally? Because it's not Southern. I don't I, I don't know. Somewhere yeah. I thought it was to be honest with you, but I can. I mean, it's big. It's big in the South. You know, mm. I'm I'm sure I'm sure Ron DeSantis eats there. Oh, for sure. You know, because it's I, I the the closed on Sunday thing. You know, yeah, is has always been interesting, just because that's always when you want it. You know, I feel like. Yeah, I know for sure. It was just <laughs> genius marketing, I guess, in that way. Supply and demand. We just have to open a different, uh, as other people have said, you know, a different chicken place on Sunday. You know, to compete. Right. Uh, apparently, it was originated in uh, Hatville, Georgia. That's the oh, original, okay. original, so, original. So, okay, so it's it's southern. Yeah. My pleasure. I don't think of that as particularly su- a southern phrase, but no. I, I guess. I guess it's supposed to be a little bit of that that hospitality. Yeah, I think it's the service thing. Like, it's my pleasure to serve. It's a little. You know what? Maybe you know what? Honestly, this is making a lot of sense. They yeah. they're 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 good at iced tea. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's difficult <laughs> with uh with fast food places. Right. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, I obvi- obviously uh you know I, <laughs> I I apologize for my transgressions. I right. guess I got to go to like. Like, do I have to go repent at Church's Chicken? Mm, me- <laughs> you have to go to you have to go to confession. <laughs> what are they going to make you Kentu- do? Kentucky Fried Confession. confession. Oh my god! <laughs> Where is this place? Wow! I wonder if the Catholics would be into that. I could make. Oh I don't know. It's huh? <laughs> Ideas I over mean, here. I I was recently listening to a thing about um how uh kfc in korea is like really closely uh, uh associated with christmas like it's a thing you do huh like during the holidays that's very interesting yeah God. kfc really just is everywhere you know i will never mm-hmm. forget the one in venice that our professors yeah. decided we needed to go I guess to it's, i was like i'm I not guess gonna it's eat just- there it, it, we're, we're talking a lot about fast food. We chicken, are. But I we guess are. I guess we are talking about this. I guess the thing that's always fascinated me is going to other countries and seeing a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like I've been to Australia and they mm. have KFC, and it's just like, uh, the, I I guess I uh wondering if any like what their relationship to the idea of kentucky is cuz <laughs> yeah. most most foreigners i i'm not i'm not holding this against anyone but most foreigners typically they might know two states uh if you asked them to name uh states in the in the US right and they would say new york and california maybe florida texas uh, probably texas just from yeah. reputation yeah, yeah. Let let's say it's it's the it's the true um it's the true triad of New York, Texas, California. The the three <laughs> the three extremes of America. Right, the Holy the three... Spirit, if you will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they they could name those three states. Kentucky is a little bit more of a deep cut. I feel like, like it is, I, I yeah. be, in the same way that Burger King is branded as Hungry Jacks in Australia. Like, why isn't it Queensland Fried Chicken? Queensland Fried Chicken. Yeah. Well, it's not from it's it's original Kentucky Fried Chicken, which I don't even know if it's actually I, from I Kentucky. But I guess. But what's what's their relationship to the idea of uh of Kentucky Kentucky food mm. of of south of Southern cooking? Because to them, it's, it's it's upside down over there. 
are in Australia? What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, I forgot. How can I forget about the cultural cuisine of Australia where they literally flip their plates upside down? Everything must be backwards. Yeah, they do that, you know? It's, uh... (laughs) They're so committed to the really, They really, like, um... Oh my God! What's what's the uh, what's the one where they hand you the, the they have is it Dairy Queen where they oh do the, the, the freezy thing yeah the frosty <laughs> yeah the frosty that's how they do it upside down yeah oh my God yeah no they in Australia they just hand it to you straight up and down there you go yeah and they have to be like you know you're <laughs> actually upside down based on the, the orbit here oh the frosties you know it would yeah exactly um, but yeah so now you know that if if ever you were driving and in danger i could locate if you are trying areas. to yes yes this would have been the ep- this would have been the point in colombo where you've been like <laughs> you know that would have been like just one more thing one more thing you, you you said that the that the uh woman at the drive-thru said my pleasure well it's just it's just occurred to me that uh that, that would only be chick-fil-a right yeah exactly that make that yeah. makes sense. See, that's the point. That's uh-huh. what I'm here for, Zan. That's what we do. You mm-hmm. know, we're connected yes. in that way. So I got to make sure mm-hmm. I'm aware of the surroundings. And in that, if case, I had gone missing, you would have been able to pinpoint me. Yeah, you know, you know they're gonna come talk to me first, and I get I had a piece of evidence <laughs> to help. I guess, which I guess also now that I said that just implies that I would have had something to do with it. But see, then I was mm. on the phone with you, so I don't know. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the true crime implications of that. Oh yes, yes. Uh, true crime chicken. True um, crime chicken. Wow, we're on branding today. This is. This oh is good. yes. I mean, we're 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 talking brands. Talking brands. Um, but if we can pivot a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's just get into it. You believe know? it or not, we have things that we actually wanted to talk to you all about today uh, here at the Uncanny County Museum. <laughs> I would like to bring you all into the Uncanny County Museum's orchard. Hmm uncanny orchards yes this is uh the this is specifically an apple orchard that we have here with all sorts of historic uh varieties of apple hmm. um now apples uh have uh, obviously uh as anyone that's uh maybe read any literature ever uh, apples, very loaded symbol, uh, especially in in the Western canon. But you know, really, a, a global fruit that uh, has been been with humanity for a very long time. And uh, what I thought was uh, very interesting was its relationship to American history. Uh, and we sort of are aware of this with a lot of phrases, the, the association of apple pie with American history and um, just just sort of our image of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about what exactly that association, where that comes from, how this historic fruit uh, came to be so ubiquitous across the country, uh, became so heavily associated with the continent and how it um, is interlaced uh, with American history. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very curious yes. about this. Oh, yeah. You've got your... Are, are you ready to go apple picking? Oh, absolutely. I got my basket with me, and I'm all ready to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as we go through, uh, there is an awful lot of apple picking around where I live, um, but that is uh, not not by accident. The northeast of the uh, what is now the United States uh, has a long, long history of uh, growing apples. It goes back further than that, obviously. Mm-hmm, so sure. in literature, the first uh, like kind of definitive mentions that we have uh, about apples you know go back to ancient uh geographers and historians uh in the first century uh both strabo and uh pliny the elder uh mentioned them in writing um now the difficulty with roman history in identifying apples is that the romans had this bizarre habit of referring to all fruit as apples what Yes. So this is why a lot of fruits uh, and vegetables in um, French and other Romance languages, it will be apple of this, apple of that. That Oh, that makes sense. That is why a lot of fruits are kind of named that, like uh, uh, apple of the earth is potato in French. Um, you know, mm. you have pomegranate, palm meaning uh, palm coming from uh, the that Latin root word uh, for apple. It it, re- it remains a little bit in English, um, but it, especially if you go into Romance languages, uh, you find other remnants of it as well. So it can be a little confusing in understanding what uh, fruit exactly uh, uh, is being referred to. Uh, usually it will be the apple of this place. So usually apple uh, followed by geography. Mm-hmm. And this also adds to uh, sort of our, our imagery of uh, the forbidden fruit in the Bible being an apple. Right. Um, so this this colors already a lot of our history. And right. it's... In writing, at least, we see that differentiation uh, in Roman writing about that uh, first century BC going into the uh, going into AD times. Gotcha, gotcha. And they also had to explain, you know, when they were talking about the Big Apple, that that was, you know, of course, New York City. <laughs> well, it was Old York back then. Old York, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, apples uh, come into 17th century uh, America and are pretty uh, widely cultivated. Now, the domestic apple that we have, even though there are wild apples that are native to the Americas. Yeah, we get crab apples, right? Yes, yes. Um, domesticated apples that uh, we eat uh, are a uh, specific species uh, that more actually originates uh, from southern Kazakhstan, um, where to this day, in sort of the southern mountains, there still are wild apple forests. Um, But this this Asiatic wild apple was crossed with European crab apples, uh, and this gives us the uh, domestic apple that we have today. Huh. I did not know that's yeah. very interesting. So it's originally from Kazakhstan, like the root of it. Yes, not like yeah, a literal our... root, but like the the base fruit. <laughs> let's say, yeah, um, yes, and then it is uh, hybridized huh. with uh, the European crab apple. Interesting. Um, now, 
apples genetically are uh, what is known as uh, heterozygotes. Um, and this means that they they just they are uh, an individual. Because we, we've talked about um, evolution here at the Uncanny County Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk a lot about how uh, evolution does not really happen at the uh, individual level. It happens uh, to populations. Uh, populations accumulate traits and um, the more useful traits are whittled out of that population. Right, um, right. Apples are particularly weird in that an individual can actually express um, multiple phenotypes, multiple versions of an individual. Um, so uh, we think of uh, ourselves as you're you're born, you're kind of a this isn't exactly how it works, but you're essentially a blend of your mother and your father's genes. Apples don't have that really they can actually express uh, a much more complicated mosaic of their genes and apples in fact have many more genes than we do uh we have thirty thousand genes roughly apples have uh, upwards of fifty seven thousand genes whoa it's a lot of pair of genes no, they're apple jeans, not pear jeans. Ah, of course, apple bottom. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I, yeah. We had to. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's incredibly interesting, though. Wow. 50. Se- huh. Yeah. So um, this is uh, this leads to because they're heterozygotes. Um, this leads to an interesting uh, and very weird uh, reproductive habit of apples which is within an apple you have five seeds that could each of those seeds could turn into a very different kind of apple tree Hmm. uh it so because of this um apple trees that we eat from are not planted from seeds uh they are grafted um oh. now what grafting means to those that don't know is essentially um because plants uh are uh because of the way that uh their uh you know the xylem and phloem in a plant work uh you can take one part of one plant and as long as they're fairly closely related you can attach a branch of one plant onto uh, a, another tree or cactus, or sometimes it, it's, it's pretty jarring uh, how different of species you can get to do this. Um, but you could uh, take a branch from an apple tree w- that grew an apple that you liked and uh, take that branch uh, and attach it to the branch of another apple tree and that tree will now, uh, from that branch, start growing uh, that fruit that you want. Um, huh. And this has to be done for domestic apples that we eat, that, that we will eat off the branch, because there's no guarantee that if you got, say, a Red Delicious apple, a Granny Smith, a Gala, um, you know, uh, Honeycrisp, it just, you know, do, do you have a preferred apple? Uh, I, 
a Granny Smith apple usually, or even a really? Golden Golden Delicious, or what is it? Not Golden. Interesting. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't like those. You don't like the sour apples. I'm. I'm. I'm not really into the sour mm, apples. I like a good sour yeah. apple. I like. I like. It usually going going redder. I like I like a red delicious or uh, uh, hmm. you know a or, or a gala. I like you a know, gala. Yeah, so, I something. like a good gala. Red delicious. I feel yeah. like are too like it's like too not dry, but it's like like bland mm. for for me for me personally. Uh, mm. But the okay. sour gives it like I think it kind of relates to why I like spicy food. It's like something sort of like a punch, um, but not all the time. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. Apples. So, so many of them. Yeah, there there <laughs> Literally, are. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to be comparing these apples to other apples. Apples to apples, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's say you got your Granny Smith seeds uh, and you put them in the ground. Uh-huh. Uh, there is no guarantee, because that apple has the genetics for many different apples, more than likely you'll get... Uh, basically what we would think of as inedible apples crab apples apples that are just uh, much smaller tougher to eat and um just just not as not as sweet as we typically want from from our apples as as humans Interesting. now apples you know in the wild uh thing all sorts of animals eat them. I mean, humans have have eaten them for for a long time since you know they've uh, humans have lived in the Middle East for a very long time. So uh, apples have kind of always uh, been there. Uh, but even like the wild horses of right. Kazakhstan still eat them. So they they rely on you know having uh, fruit that is appealing to animals uh, and. Uh, using that as a method of seed dispersal. So the animal eats it uh, and, uh, you know, poops out the seeds somewhere and, you know, you get another apple tree. Um, and apples, they're they're sort of, uh, the, the way that they uh, have set themselves up is that they can have a huge variety within their species um, so that uh, a a seed could potentially grow more crab apples. It could grow a more appealing fruit. Um, and, and this has, this is just sort of how, uh, how they function as humans. We have really strived to control this when it comes to the edible apples. Um, so in pretty much any farm that is growing apples for eating, uh, those apples, uh, come from grafting. So, mm. uh, Granny Smith's, let's say, uh, there was, uh, presumably someone named Granny Smith who right. had an apple tree that happened to produce a particular kind of fruit that people liked. All Granny Smith's that we eat from that point have all come from grafts from that tree, uh, or trees that that, um, that that original tree has begot. They're kind of all clones, basically. Whoa. Uh, and this goes for every variety of apple that we have. Each one has some sort of original uh, ur tree that we've just been grafting uh, uh, just forever onward. That's, huh. That is very, yeah, you would very not, crazy, actually. You would not... Yeah. So if you wanted to grow Granny Smiths, you would not start from a seed. You would start from the branch of a Granny Smith 
tree. Like you would need to grow. Yeah. Like you would you grow couldn't... that essentially, or like how are you starting from the branch specifically? Um, you are cutting that branch uh-huh. off. Gotcha. And grafting it onto uh, another tree that you've already established. Like lip. You mean like literally putting it in? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yes. I'm like, wait. How literal are we getting? <laughs> you're like, how literal you're, are we you're grafting da- things? You are. It's like you're downloading. It's like uh, <laughs> you wouldn't steal an apple tree, would you? <laughs> it's you like um, the apple it, verse. <laughs> oh my god! It's yeah. It's apple hacking. Right. You, it's like you've oh got a god. Windows okay. computer. And you right. put Apple software on it. Right. <laughs> Literally. Um, you put iOS yes. on the tree. Yeah, to download Exactly. It. Okay, no, this yes. is... Okay, I wanted to clarify, because I think you said mm-hmm. it, and I was like, yeah. Wait, what? Like, it just took me yeah. a minute of, like, trying no, to you, process you could, this. Yeah, you could not spit out your Granny, uh, your, your granny Smith seeds. Right. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> and start getting uh, the Granny thing. Smith apple. It, it would be highly unlikely that you would get an apple uh, precisely like mm. what you associate uh, with that tree. It's not impossible, because obviously mm. new varieties of apples, uh, of edible apples do appear, um, but uh, it, it is very unlikely, uh, just because the genes in any one apple plant, apple tree, just v- vary so much. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, because of this uh, factoid, uh, again, th- this is sort of the only way that we can cultivate apples that people actually want to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings us to Johnny Appleseed. Ah, yes, the legendary Jonathan Appleseed. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Jonathan Appleseed is my father. <laughs> so... Uh, fascinatingly, uh, he was not actually referred to, he is based on a real person. Oh. Uh, John Appleseed <laughs> Chapman. Hmm. He was born in 1774 in Leominster, Massachusetts. Um, so, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a regular townie. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, a he's a, yeah. he's a Massachusetts lad. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, and uh, he was not referred to as Johnny Appleseed until his 40s, uh, mm. but he did indeed plant a lot of apple trees. He began moving west and planted a ton in Ohio. Uh, he kept going west uh eventually to Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, and that is where he died in 1845. Uh, now... His is sort of his um uh as far as like what we can tell from his actual life uh you know it is difficult to piece some of this together and some things have been conflated with legend and possibly other people um but he was basically uh trying to uh spread apple seeds as uh, a way of growing this uh, recognizable domestic plant. However, they were not uh, growing these apple trees to eat the apples. Uh, 
you know, hence the name, he was spreading apple seeds. So what were they doing with all of these inedible apples? Well, I'm going to take a guess. Yep, because there is one thing that you can do (laughs) (laughs) with them. I'm going to say they were turning them into alcohol. They were. It turns out that the French don't like to just eat grapes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, I should say, uh, that cider, apple cider, Mm -hmm. uh, had been an enormous component of, uh, New England Northeast culture. Yeah, it still is. Uh, Yeah, for hundreds of years. So, John Chapman... Uh, Johnny Appleseed is coming <laughs> out of this tradition that that really is going back uh, for, for, to pretty much the very beginning of European settlement in uh, North America. Um, and this is because apples grow very well uh, in the region. Uh, it is this very easy way to uh, grow a sugary fruit, a mildly sugary fruit that can, um, that you can ferment and turn into alcohol. And in fact, there would be very little interest in the much sweeter versions that we prefer to eat. Uh, one, one example going back would be like the red delicious. It is, uh, actually when you turn it into alcohol, when you turn it into cider, it actually does not taste very good. Mm. Uh, Makes it's, sense. Uh, yeah, so it's actually these more uh, these more random uh, crab apples and sort of wild apple varieties that are more desirable uh, for making cider. And it really is this kind of homegrown type of thing where every family, uh, every farm, you would have. Uh, an apple orchard that you could be brewing uh, your own uh, cider yeah. uh, hmm. with. And it doesn't require uh, the very specific climates that uh, grapes need. Uh, it doesn't require, uh, you know, growing uh, wheat and barley uh, for, uh, uh, for for beer. It, you know, it's a very, it's a much more adaptable fruit uh, mm-hmm, for making mm-hmm. your alcohol uh, for where they are located uh, in, in America. It's also, like, kind of easy. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, not to say that, like, you know, I can go make cider right now, but it is it is pretty straightforward if mm-hmm. you follow a basic plot, or not plot, like yeah. a basic, like, a guideline for it. I had a, I went to a dinner, right. the professor and a bunch of students, like, years ago, and mm-hmm. um, one of them brought, like, homemade cider because it was a BYOB restaurant and he was like talking Ooh. us through the process which was kind of like it was funny that it was like yeah i brought this like homemade cider some no big deal we we're like okay it was pretty good i mean <laughs> it, but it's like it's bitter like, what a flex i know it yeah. Is, yeah but it was just kind of i was like yeah let's try it i'm into it and it was like mm-hmm. pretty decent you know for all things considered for mm-hmm. a homemade cider but yeah it's like very it can be very bitter but i know that they make it from the crab apples that way or even some different ones like i don't know what he made it out of some some mm-hmm. sort of apple i assume but um mm-hmm. it's just interesting that it's not when he was walking us through the process it's like 
it's not as complicated as like if you were to brew your yeah. own beer or IPAs. Like I have a right, uh, yeah. family member who does that as a hobby, mm-hmm. but it's like working yeah. with a mash already given to you. But if yeah. you don't have the mash, it's like just there's such a process that goes into yeah. actually brewing your own beer or alcohol. Mm-hmm. The same deal with wine too, you know, that yeah. going through that process is pretty complex and and i think with wine as well that the bitter the bitter fruit tends to be the more preferred i could be dead wrong on mm-hmm. that but from what <laughs> i've noticed like that seems to be the case like even with the grapes mm-hmm. like you wouldn't eat wine grapes necessarily um, right but it's interesting you know yeah so but y- you you definitely touched on this idea that um it is something that anyone any family is capable of you know setting up uh some apple trees and having a barrel of apple cider that they um that they have each uh locality would have had uh you know sort of their own orchards that they worked from and then uh this would be shipped into the cities it was big money um in it but it also has this sort of uh entrepreneurial uh self-sufficiency uh, angle to it. And mm-hmm. this is what sort of leads to the mythologizing of Johnny Appleseed because as he's moving west in that sort of pre Civil War period, this coincides with, uh, you know, big time westward expansion uh, on the part of the US. Right. Um, you know, sort of the, the iron- ironic angle of it is the, uh, the window. Indians of the region actually shared with uh, John Chapman a lot of techniques for cultivating the apple trees. Hmm. What happens is uh, in 1871, uh, after he's passed away, he dies in 1845. But in 1871, uh, W.D. Haley writes uh, an article about him kind of uh, solidifying uh it, it was it was very embellished but essentially publishes a, in harper's a uh a, a a mythologized version of his life and it really it, it ties into this uh somewhat propagandistic idea of cultivating the west of ah uh, i see of t- of taking this uh, this sort of portable thing and uh, and bringing progress with it. Uh, w- bringing, bringing progress and civilization west uh, in, in their vision. Oh so yeah. a lot of people move west, set up orchards, and you can, you know, go pretty much anywhere in the United States and there will be local apple varieties because of this and local cider varieties. It's, it kind of is, uh, I don't know if this is, uh, I, I don't think this will step on anyone's, uh, you know, uh, delicate wine toes, but it is specific enough to region. You could compare it to, uh, in Europe, different regions for beer and wine. Like, um, each of these localities will have different uh, cultivations of apples and different um, uh, uh, different um, qualities to their ciders uh, because of the variety uh, of the geographies and right. soils. Yeah, for so, sure. So, 
Yeah, so it is kind of America's version of of having different wine regions. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point, I guess, in that way, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess they got, like, Napa Valley for wine, actually. But that's about it, right? Well, we have wineries in New Jersey, (laughs) which is kind of weird. But Well, isn't... um there's there's a thing about like how uh there was a blight in europe in france and they had to graft grapes from uh from the u.s to save a lot of the wine industry yeah yeah i remember that it's pretty crazy no i mean it's it's like all of these things are all over the place but no for sure what you're saying like that that the cider is the american version of that at least definitely in the past as well yeah makes a lot yeah well if you think about like how big the u.s is and how much variety we have in um topography and climate apples really are the thing that could grow everywhere that could that could survive the really cold winters uh that where wine grapes you know they're kind of need they need a specific um a kind of a specific uh, range of temperatures yeah. uh, that lets them grow. And it may, it makes sense. Like, I mean, humans will figure out how to make alcohol out of literally anything, oh, yeah. which I oh, always yeah. find so fascinating that once we figured mm-hmm. it out with the sugar, it was pretty much <laughs> over, you know? Yeah. But, like, I think that's also very interesting when you go region to region and see what it is made out of, you know? So for the U.S., you yeah. have the cider being out of the crab apples, which makes complete sense. And then in you know, Italy, let's take, for example, like Southern Italy, you're going to get wine because the grapes are mm-hmm. everywhere and it's just the more practical. Um, yes. Dr- it's it's the more practical alcohol of choice and then maybe yeah. beer. You're not going to get vodka there. But then when you're in like Russia, well, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't would, you wouldn't grow you wouldn't grow grapes in Russia. <laughs> exactly. You have to have a harsher drink for harsher climates and so on. So it's. You know, or, or you have your mead like up north because you get honey and and whatnot. So I, I right. always find that very Think, interesting. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is extremely interesting. But yeah, no, this totally plays into America's uh, geography and access to alcohol, essentially. Mm. Um, but as I uh, sort of uh, alluded to, this also um, falls in line with a lot of mythologization of, uh, westward expansion. Right. So Johnny Appleseed basically, it becomes a symbol of potential of, uh, the untapped resources of the West that, uh, that can be harnessed with progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that apples could grow in all of these places and, uh, people could start up their homesteading, their self-sufficiency, and, uh, and and we could, you know, uh, as as Americans could, you know, start cultivating out west, um, and you know, then the you know post Civil War, this is you know pretty solidified. The the remaining Native Americans are forced onto reservations, and th- the rest is history. This is sort of the the direction that things are going. But another interesting thing happens in the late 1800s. But to understand it, we have to go back 100 years before, actually around the time that Johnny Appleseed was born uh, in uh, at the founding of the United States. Now, when we think of the Northeast of the United States, we really think of puritanism we think of pilgrims Mm -hmm. 
as as sort of the the um the pre uh revolutionary era archetype like that everyone was just walking around with buckles on their hats until one day right. uh ben franklin you, you know waltzes into town or something <laughs> and um, then they have and is j- buckles on their shoes instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man well, that's about uh, buckles and they're like hey ben how about keeping your pants buckled you horny freak yeah but what we also have to remember uh and really looking at history is that in 1776 church attendance in the United States or what was uh a, a, what was becoming the United States was da 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 17%. Wow, really? It was not very high. Those people were getting enlightened, you know, had some ideas. Yeah. So this is not to say they were not Christians by majority, because they they certainly were, and mostly Protestant, we should say. But there was a different attitude as to what the place of a church was. And this is what sort of allows for that um, kind of uh, immediate, uh, as, as the Republic is being established, why it is fairly easy for them to get that separation of church and state in there. They pretty much established that the the state will not be funding any churches churches are on their own right and you know un- until fairly recently this was doing us very well yeah uh, we we were very happy with this arrangement um yeah. <laughs> because there was no state religion um religious leaders saw that they would have to serve as uh, an institution that fostered morality, which I think um, a lot of enlightenment and, uh, you know, Protestant era thinkers would, would kind of agreed with if, if you did not believe in necessarily a uh, anthropomorphic literal uh, vision of the Bible, you sought some kind of morality, you sought some sort of guiding principles. Mm-hmm. Now, this is great for the uh, the theologians and the the philosophers, but for everyday people, they're really looking for um, ministers that preach something specific, some sort of guiding uh, uh, outline that they see in the Bible and everyone else is wrong. This leads to what we think of as the charismatic ministers. And especially with this westward expansion, that is why the charismatic minister in, you know, the small town, why why that figure exists is this lack of any central authority on the Bible. It's whatever the, you know, Whatever, whatever someone who has a good public speaking skills says goes. Oh, so it's the same now, basically. Yes, yes. That, um, you know, this is this is something I think you and I have talked about where, you know, uh, we are not uh, particularly religious people, but mm. we are extremely skeptical of just any mentality, religious or not, where it's. Well, I think it's this because I think so. And yeah. I'm not going to uh, corroborate any of my thoughts with anyone else. And this 
this thing means what I say it means because (sighs) I said it. Yes, which is, yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah. And now here we kind of get into this gray area where individual experience and interpretation seems like the type of thing that as post-enlightenment uh educated people you it has a it has a very strong place that uh an individual's interpretation of something is different and unique and worth looking into but the extreme version of this is essentially protestant charismatic uh yeah you know this is this is how you get snake handlers this is how you get you know pentecostal revivals it's like uh yeah yeah it's explaining the cults at this time too to tell you the truth yes yes so what does this have to do with apples you may be asking yourself right well one of the things that begins to happen in the late 1800s with this expansion of um religion functioning as a guidance of morality while this does actually lay the foundations for a lot of progressive ideas, especially in the Northeast of the United States. Like a lot of the civil rights movements, women's suffrage, all kinds of progressive things that we associate with New England and the Northeast. These have a lot of their roots in um, charismatic uh, preachers and uh, and just just social progress movements. The idea of we are building a better society mm-hmm. here in America. You know, we have democracy. We want to have our we want to have our government uh, of democracy with moral people. So a lot of progressivism comes out of this second great awakening. Uh, So I I don't want to, you know, completely overwrite it. But one of the things that comes out of this movement is the American Temperance Society, which uh, is founded in 1826. And their stance is a complete abstinence from alcohol. Complete. uh, Yeah. and, And they really... And the the movement gains more and more traction as time goes on. Um, And it has a couple of different rationales to it, Um, some more valid than others. And uh, I guess when we have to think of the Industrial Revolution, we have to think of how mostly men are working, you know, these very intense, repetitive, laborious jobs, getting paid not very much. And vice really becoming a big component uh, of urban life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that alcoholism and especially public uh, intoxication becomes much more of a uh, of a uh, component of urban life. So a lot of these Protestant movements saw alcohol is some sort of source of immorality. Now, I do think, especially from, you know, a uh, an idea of um, maybe a little bit of a classist idea, but certainly something that seems observable at the time, was the idea that, like, you know, these men come home drunk and, you know, are, like, beating their wives and abusing their children and just yeah. angry at the world. So there was this idea that, okay, well, the root cause must be the alcohol. So 
what would later become prohibition in uh, in America, uh, you know, a, a few decades uh, later, is is starting from this idea of we need we we have this sick society that is you know caught up in its vice of alcohol, and uh, we need to cure that. Uh, and in reality, what's happening is not that alcoholism isn't a problem. And I can, you know, say this as someone, you know, whose, whose family has been hurt by alcoholism. Uh, it is a problem. Right. Um, but in this societal framework that they're looking at, they're also, the movement is, is kind of co-opted from the beginning, uh, by, really industrialists who want more effective workers. So they don't want their workers (laughs) drinking. They see drunkenness as something that is prohibiting uh, productivity. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Oh, God, what a mess. Yeah, because it's the thing. It's like, okay, yeah, this is not a... Like, you can kind of get behind it a little bit, especially at that time, right? Where, like, alcohol abuse is pretty brutal. Like, clearly... and I mean, you know, it, it it's like it makes sense, but then of course you're gonna get that infiltration that then deflects all of that issue into well, actually right. you need to be more efficient and we have to pay you less right. and you need to be right. sober when you're dealing with the hellscape that is our in- industrial land. Exactly. Is, oh uh, oh yes. And speaking of uh speaking of that, let's think about um a group of people mm-hmm. that were arriving en masse in the Northeast in the mid eighteen hundreds. Well Oh, you hear that? Oh. Do you do do you hear that? That that fiddle that that, that joyful fiddle coming in over the hills? Uh, uh, faintly, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the, yeah. Do I send do I do, could do, it be? Oh, is it the eye? maybe yes yes what yes you, what if you would just like actually see italians close <laughs> like, well basically catholics uh were oh. coming into the u.s <laughs> okay germans irish germans and italians were were coming in uh in, in large numbers especially the irish and there was a certain urban uh idea of public drinking that a lot of the sort of more nativist people Mm -hmm. took issue with, you know, the idea that why don't, because essentially they're, they're use, they're, they're importing this idea of, I live in a cramped place. I don't want to be drunk at home. I want to be drunk out in the street with my friends. Right. Um, and this does not jive well with the image of, uh, reserved moral you know uh uh, new englanders right puritan values and whatnot yes um so what happened what starts to happen in the cities is um there is less and less of a demand for cider from rural communities uh because alcohol is starting to fall out of favor it is really tied to uh uh, immigrants to ill-behaved people. Uh, and this sort of leads to an end uh, for at least a, a good few decades, really half a century. This leads to the decline of a lot of these 
uh, Northeast and New England orchards, uh, and especially the the variety of apples that uh, we had in the United States, uh, leading into prohibition, hmm. uh, because alcohol was starting to fall out of favor. It was it was just seen as this thing that made people ill behaved and. Uh, and there was this faction of society that wanted uh, a little bit more uh, reserve in behavior. So the truly bizarre thing about all of this is New England Protestants had uh, essentially settled the area and founded it Mm -hmm. with uh, apple cider. Right. And then in a few hundred years almost killed the entire industry uh wow with with this uh with with this uh abstinence from alcohol um which of course uh you know then uh prohibition happens uh in the uh in the uh, early uh 20th century so they saw it like in in terms of their religion it was rot it's corruption of the alcohol it is corruption of the sugars. It is corruption of society. Um, huh. You know, and you can even see this in like, uh, you know, companies that we would still recognize to this day. Uh, in 1842, you had a Quaker named Samuel Mott out of Bookville, New York. Uh, and he is Mott of Mott's Apple Juice. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yep. So... He, but you know, that uh, entire company was built off of, uh, you know, all sorts of variety right. of apples <laughs> that would have been grown in the area, made into cider. And really, Mott and a lot of other companies only survived by pivoting into apple juice, apples for eating, and uh, applesauce. Um, and it's it sort of uh re reoriented the, what exactly we were growing apples for and but again this means that you can only grow apples that come from grafts this drastically reduced the variety of apples that mm. you saw in a lot of these orchards and you know you could a company like Mott you know they could be working with dozens of different varieties of apples you know by the time you get into the 1950s there's really only a handful of varieties that they'll work with. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Now the, the sort of silver lining at the end of all of this is apple cider has had a huge resurgence, uh, in recent years and is sort of starting to, uh, is sort of starting to develop its own, um, kind of, uh, local brewery culture that like we've been seeing um with beer Mm -hmm. uh in the last couple decades you know just like craft beers you you have all sorts of varieties of craft ciders popping up all over the country sort of taking advantage of this wide uh geography heritage and history of this drink so it has come back but it is really after a century of neglect really. Hmm. Wow. And that is the story of apple cider in America. Wow. Thank you so much, Zan, for all this research. This was incredibly interesting. A little sad 
at the same time, but then also there's a lot mm-hmm. to think about with it too, and its oh, yeah. implications for sure. It's a it's a largely unknown history. It seems like that I would have never known anything about, and yeah. I like apple cider. It's quite tasty. Mm. Um, well, you know, it, I I might recommend uh, what I was using as a source for uh, today's tour. Ooh, yes. Uh, American Cider, A Modern Guide to a Historic Beverage by Dan Pucci and Craig Cavallo. Oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, Craig Cavallo, uh, one of the owners of the Golden Russet, which uh, I place. found out in this book is actually a kind of apple. Really? Um, yes. Huh. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Dan Pucci has, uh, uh, a restaurant down in New York, uh, in the city, uh, that, you know, has like a wine list, but for cider, uh, Craig Cavallo, uh, you know, uh, has his, uh, sort of family restaurant up here in, um, Hudson Valley. Fantastic. If you are anywhere near Salt Point, please go there. It is one of my favorite places. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, just everything you could ever want to know about all the different regions uh, of apples and history. Super great book. Um, But yeah, that's where uh, a lot of this information is coming from today. Very cool. Yeah, definitely Mm -hmm. check that out. I'm going to for sure check that out. I'm very curious. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, very nice. Wow. Thank you again for all this. I I definitely now have some uh, more fodder for dinner conversations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just going to be at dinner like cider. I hardly know her. <laughs> you know, after you said those like jokes when you were bringing those up all the time, I have not stopped <laughs> thinking about how to turn them, how to turn anything into that kind of setup. <laughs> and it has poisoned my mind quite literally. <laughs> Hitler, I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> It's the that and the you're telling me a shrimp fried this rice. <laughs> I, I said that to my sister just out of context, and she just looked at me so confused when I said, like, "What?" And I had to explain it. And you know, if you have to explain a joke, it's just over. It's just downhill mm-hmm, from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh, but yes. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me talk about it. Yeah, and, thank uh, you for talking about it. This was great. Of course, of course. Well, if uh, we are finished with our tour here, um, we can uh, change out of our uh, our black sweaters, our black turtlenecks. Yes, yeah, and don't forget you get the, the new balances on, too. You got to make sure they're not too dirty. Oh, right, right, yeah. You know, I'm not... I. I I really am, like, bummed I, you know, had to wear this. I'm not really into light wash jeans, you know? Really? Yeah. At, yeah you know yeah i understand i have a pair they're fine you know it's yeah like, but you know you got you gotta wear your steve jobs outfit apple picking you know i'm gonna do that again next time i go with friends for sure because that's that's quite just, a, you, quite just a meta dressed like dressed like the rock you <laughs> yes know? well i own all of those <laughs> i love a good turtleneck as you know and i have light wash jeans so it is just a part of my wardrobe that i have right. to make sure consciously i'm not combining them or people are going to think it's one or the other (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah anyways uh i believe this brings us to stick it or ticket yes oh man i am i am excited for this all right i know you've had ever since i forgot this last yeah you've had you've had you've had a hot one in the chamber oh yes i have i have two actually just we'll make up for them both so 
Uh, the first one is it's kind of a callback to what you were mentioning when you traveled to uh, Bass Pro Shop because I saw on the back of a Jeep a massive, mm. a massive just big bass fish sticker. Oh. Like out of context, it was just it was like a <laughs> photoshopped fish cut out as a sticker, <laughs> and it's like the size of like an eight and a half by eleven notebook. You know, like oh. that size. It was like really big. So I thought big that bass. was funny. Big bass, exactly. And then uh, I saw a sticker as well that said, Bigfoot doesn't believe in you either. And I thought that was fun. <laughs> so fun. there you go. Those nice. are my entries. How about you, Zan? What do you got? Uh, I saw one that was, uh, it turns out, I guess it was a business, but uh, just really fantastic. I don't know entirely what they do. Um, Allison and I were at a uh, another uh, local uh, establishment uh and saw uh someone wearing a, a sweatshirt with piglets on it and we thought it was cute uh but then we went out and her car had a sticker on the back of it that said pig rig <laughs> <laughs> what why i don't know hmm I thought maybe she just she just brings emotional support pigs around. I don't know. Maybe. Very mm. interesting. Got to have that pig rig with you, you know. Oh yeah, riding the pig rig. Right. <laughs> yeah, riding the roads. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh man. Well, next up, let's get to uncanny recommendations. Cool. Yeah. All right. On my recommendations radar here, um, as I mentioned earlier, I would definitely recommend a convenience store woman by uh, Sayaka Murata. Really interesting book. It's very short. It's like, you know, like 160 pages and it's a small book in general. So you can read it in like an afternoon. Um, Hmm. But I thought it was quite fascinating. I have to say I was I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not, but it's left me with questions and I've been thinking about it as I was reading it, which is always a good sign. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend that. Um, I don't know if I covered it here or not last time, but I did finish Crying in H Mart by Michelle Swerner, and I would for sure recommend that book. It's a masterpiece. Uh, I've also been listening to, in terms of music, The House of Sugar by Alex G. It's like the album before his newest one, I believe. And it's very Ooh. good. I, Southern Sky on that is a great song, as well as Gretel. Definitely, definitely uh oh, would recommend those that. yeah Zan, you would like it this is also a direct yeah. reference to you because i i know <laughs> i know you would if you liked um uh oh my god rocket i you yeah. would like this one a lot too okay so yeah no, i've liked i've liked all his stuff that i've heard yeah it's it's really good i, I it's, it's kind of fascinating going backwards and like you know listening to all of his music and then just seeing where it all leads to with like the more recent album mm-hmm. so yeah i would i would definitely recommend uh those things for sure um but how about you zan oh actually i should probably throw out the uh yeah if you were thinking of playing legend of zelda tears of the kingdom you should do it because it's amazing and that's taken (laughs) over my entire life that's my other recommendation because it's genuinely one of the best games i've ever played in my life it's interesting i can build anything i want and i love that it has turned me into a caveman because i can put a rock on a stick (laughs) Zan, these are so out of context for you, but it's just, I like need you to, I'll have to send you some memes from these or something, because it is just so funny, all of the things people do, because they essentially created a system where you can make, like, 
replica planes or mechs out of just like wood in these like makeshift machine parts uh-huh. like it's pretty crazy so i it's just been it's been so much fun i interest i feel like a child all over again i love it <laughs> uh but anyways those are my recommendations how about you what do you got for us let's see let's see so uh obviously uh american cider uh <laughs> true um, but as far as, uh, things I've been taking in, um, I have been really into, uh, the, an EP by Palace, uh, mm-hmm. called Lost in the Night. Uh, it's one of their older, uh, works. Uh, it's almost 10 years old, actually. At this oh, wow. Point. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think especially if you're, uh, if you've never heard anything by them before, it's only five tracks, but it really takes you on a wonderful journey. There's a lot of lovely uh, baritone guitar on there, uh, but just a lot of really nice atmosphere built out of fairly simple uh, arrangements, but just with 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 a ton of uh, power and hmm. uh, and and just a beautiful voice. So I, I would recommend uh, that "Lost in the Night" by Palace. Um, also, uh, I know they're putting out uh, a new album, so I definitely uh, want to give them a shout out uh, back in St. Petersburg. Uh, Eyelid Cinema, hmm. uh, who uh, I uh, had the pleasure of doing open mics with uh, their frontman. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to get into them, I really recommend the song Gemini. There's some, you know, some good angst on that track. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun. Uh, just just kind of nice uh, power pop, little post grunge uh, type of thing. Um, but yeah, Eyelid Cinema out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Cool. Yeah, that, that's going to that's going to be my recommendations. I haven't had a chance to watch uh, too many movies or TV shows recently. It's been a little uh, hectic. Uh, but yeah, those. Uh, yeah, that's that's been some new music that's been keeping me company. Nice. Very, very cool. Or more, more of a more of a return to some to some sure. comfort things, I guess. Yeah, you know, we don't follow chronological yeah. order on things. I recommended oh, something from twenty eighteen, so or nineteen. Yeah. I don't even remember. <laughs> well, I guess uh, this brings us to what's going on. What's going on uh, outside of the museum? What have you got going on, Joe? Uh, well, I actually have uh, two exhibitions to announce, finally. One is a group exhibition that I'm a part of entitled Teleportal uh, Munich Calling, which is going to be in... Uh, it's a small pop-up exhibition in Munich, Germany, uh, at this pop-up gallery called Donner Wieblitz Fenster Gallery. And it's in yes, oh. it's a long name. But it's in, it's in Munich, Germany, and it's on Donner Bergstraße. Uh, 2880634, I think is the zip code area code there. Munich is big, so got to get a little specific, but there'll be some promotion mm-hmm. on that soon, especially on my Instagram and the Teleportal one. So feel free if you're in the Munich area to check it out, but hopefully it'll be spawning into some other things there as well. And that's from July 1st to the 28th with the opening on the July 1st. It's an outdoor kind of space, outdoor over covered thing so should be interesting but it'll be up there i have a photo mm. I, yeah and then uh the other 
exhibition I got news of recently. It's also in Germany, kind of ironically, but is I'm a part of the experimental film showcase curated by Daniel Zander, and it's in the Lichtfield Theater Wunderwall in Rockstack, Germany. So if you're in that area, for sure, go check that out. Uh, it's been an interesting thing to be a part of, especially since it was a very, uh, uh, not last minute, but something I was reached out to do. And I'm happy that I was able to see the message and, and respond because it's definitely a, a nice collection of different video works from all over the world and lots of different artists. So there might be some stuff happening with that online, but I'm not entirely sure yet. So I guess stay tuned with it. But yeah, those are... Uh, the big things that are going on with me. How about you, Zan? Nice, yeah. nice. Um, well, uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, this will be the last day of the Director's Choice show at Viridian Artists in Chelsea, New York. Uh, I will uh, be there tonight. So if you're hearing this the day that it comes out, uh, I will be there uh, for the closing yes, ceremony. Get there. <laughs> Yes, I believe my piece did sell, so thank you to whoever bought that. Um, but yeah, all the artists will be speaking a little bit on their work, which is going to be really exciting. Nice. Um, then uh, in the first week of August, of course, I have my workshop, Shape and Shadow, at the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina. Hmm. Um, September 2nd, I have a show at the Folk House Collective in Kingston, New York. Um, and, uh, I think the next time you hear from Joe and I, mm. I think we'll be announcing something really big, something yes. that we've been working on for a very long time that has finally come to fruition. Uh, and we already have some, uh, if it's not giving too much away, we already have some dates that you're going to want to put on your calendars. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very excited about that. We're definitely looking forward to it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we will there will be many more things to uh yes. discuss next time. For sure. But for now, this has been uh a really great mm -hmm. uh trip through history uh here at the Uncanny County Museum. If you want to find us after hours, we are at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. You can email us questions, suggestions, anything like that at uncannycountymuseum at gmail.com. If you want to find me after hours, I'm at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. Bye. Bye. Bye.